And then this man, and I suspect that Satan himself will literally inhabit him. He is going to come with great power. He'll kill the two witnesses, and he will seemingly be ruling like we have never seen. This is Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in a study of the Revelation, and today we move into chapter 20 and a message entitled, The Doom of the Devil. We have seen the Antichrist's rise to power in a time known as the Tribulation. This time will be marked by horrible disasters and judgments poured out from God in heaven. But through it all, the Antichrist will form a coalition of nations that will come against Israel. In our study, we have now reached the end of the Tribulation. And today's message will focus on the end of the Antichrist, the end of the false prophet, and yes, even the end of the devil's time on earth. Now we're in chapter 20. You can see the title of the message is The Doom of the Devil, and that's described in the first three verses. Two simple truths. One, Satan's doom will come by heavenly intervention. Satan's doom is going to come by heavenly intervention. Notice how the chapter opens. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. Now, there is a familiar phrase, then I saw or in some of your translations, and I saw. In the old New American Standard, it's and I saw. It's a little word, kai, K-A-I, transliterated. In fact, that little word translated and or then, depending on your Bible, is found in every single verse in the chapter with the exception of verse 5 that's linked to verse 4. And it's an important little word because contextually, he is showing you the sequence of time, how events unfold one after the other. Other. Now, I have one Bible, actually I have two, where there are no chapter and verse divisions at all. So if I turn to Revelation, there's no chapter, verses at all. I just, and that's helpful to me sometimes, because sometimes the chapter and verse divisions can be distracting. And you want to see that those artificial divisions, they're helpful. If we didn't have it, it probably would have taken us 10 minutes to find the passage. And certainly it stops preachers from pe- preaching forever too. So you have some natural divisions. In either case, at the end of chapter 19, the last verse, we learn this. And the beast, remember him, he's called the Antichrist. The Bible tells us who he is. And the beast was seized. And with him, the false prophet, that's his right-hand man, who points men to Antichrist, who performed the signs in his presence, these miracles, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive in the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. So now it's only logical. God, having dealt with the Antichrist and his false prophet, next he should deal with Satan. Now, if you were here when we studied Revelation chapter 12, we saw four specific falls that Satan has that are recorded for us in Scripture. But if you were to go ahead and overview his entire career, it comes in six stages. Here's a chart that might be helpful to you. Stage one, which we studied earlier, is his ministry as the anointed cherub. He is a unique, or was a unique, angel of God. He led the other angels in praise, as cherubs do. 
But he was the anointed cherub. He was the cherub of cherubs. But then stage two, which we studied, was his fall from Lucifer to Satan. Now, I know the word Lucifer has kind of evil connotations to it today, but that was actually his good name. That was his holy name. If you want to interpret the name, it means shining one. He was a great, wonderful, glorious, shining one that is called Lucifer, and his name is changed to Satan. And his fall is recorded in two key chapters. 14 times 2 is 28. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, easy to remember, all right? Then, of course, uh, if you look, uh, in fact, uh, hold here. Don't go to the next stage yet. Hold here. Go back to Revelation chapter 12. There's no slides for this, by the way, so you need to turn there. Revelation 12. In Revelation 12 and in verse 4, it says, His tail, the dragon Satan, swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. When Satan fell from heaven, his power was extended from the heavenly realm also into the earthly realm. A third of these stars, we've seen the word star in the Revelation. It can refer to the literal stars you see in the heavens above, or as in many places in Old and New Testament, it refers to angelic beings. They are called the stars of God. Jesus said in the gospel, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Satan fell, and the New Testament reveals that he took a third of the angels. You say, that's a lot of the angels. It is, but remember, for every angel, we fall an angel, we have two good ones, right? There's two-thirds that did not fall. And so Revelation 12, 4, we studied it in depth, and in its context, it refers to a past event where Satan's power was extended just beyond the heavens down to the people who are on the earth. And so you see him there in the Garden of Eden working against Adam and Eve. Today, you see Satan, who is very much at work in the world. And he's been at work for thousands and thousands of years, for 6,000 years of recorded history. If you remember in the book of Job, Satan comes into the presence of God. While he was thrown out of heaven, he still has access to heaven, but not as the anointed cherub. And so the B'nai Elohim, the sons of God, come into the presence of God Almighty with some of the fallen angels. And they go ahead and they make a ploy with God to destroy Job. Now that brings us to the third stage of his evil work, where during the seven-year tribulation, Satan is literally physically brought down to the earth. There's a war in heaven between Michael and Satan. Look at, um, if you will, Revelation 12, look at verse 8, and let's look at verse 9. And they were not strong enough, Satan and his demons in the context, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon, one of his titles, was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now listen to verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come down for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down and he accuses, he who accuses them before God day and night. Verse 10 informs us that this morning you are being accused by the evil one. Satan has his invisible forces. They are everywhere. And one of the things Satan does with his millions and millions of demons is he accuses the people of God. There's an unceasing, untiring 
echo of accusation in the throne room of God against God's people. But right in the midpoint of the tribulation, as that ch- this chapter identifies it, dead center, Satan is going to be cast down to the earth. He will be forever banished from the heavenly realm. He will not be able to accuse anyone. But this morning, he can accuse people. That's why when Paul speaks of our security in Christ, he tries to survey every possible way that somehow we could lose our salvation, and there is no way. So he asks in Romans 8, who is the one who condemns? It's a rhetorical question. No one. Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Christ is praying for you. And one of the things he prays for you is he defends you against the accusations of the evil one. But one of these days, Satan is going to be sent packing, but not yet. He may say, have you seen so-and-so? Did you see what they did? If you are a God of justice, you should punish them and send them to hell with me in the end. But as we sang before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No evil accusation by Satan or any of his demons can stand against the nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ. So there is this war in heaven, and the one who today is called the prince of the power of the air will no longer have that title because he will never again rule in the heavenly realms. But I want to tell you, there will be havoc on the earth. There will be double wrath, not just the wrath of the Lamb, as Revelation 6 calls it, but even the wrath of Satan after the rapture of the church. That will bring us to stage four that we're going to study here in just a moment, as pictured on this slide. In Revelation 20, we see the fourth downward fall of Satan, where he's thrown into the abyss, and he's locked in there for 1,000 years. His short time that Revelation 12 speaks of when he's on the earth, three and a half years, is now over. At the second coming, he's thrown into the abyss for a thousand years. Then in stage five, he'll be released after the thousand years. We'll study that when we come to uh, verses seven through eight. I think it's a few sermons away. But there he will be released, and there's a purpose for his release. You say, why doesn't God just kill the devil now and throw away the key and be done with him? We'll see why. There's a purpose. And we'll see God's sovereign purpose. And then in stage six, the final aspect of his career, he is going to meet eternal condemnation in hell in the lake of fire. Now listen, the one who said, I will exalt myself above the stars of God is someday going to be brought into the lowest hell. And if you are following him, you will ultimately be there with him if you die as a lost person. You say, I'm not following Satan. Well, if you haven't been born again, you are. If you have not been, as Colossians 1 says, rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son, then you are. One birth is not enough. You must be born twice to enter the kingdom of God. But I want to tell you when stage three happens, there's going to be a wave of anti-Semitism on the earth 
like we've never seen it. The seeds are being sown in our day. It's not by accident. There is a growing anti-Semitic spirit in our nation, and not just in our nation, but across the world. But there's a restrainer who is holding back evil. He's called the spirit, but when his restraining ministry stops and Satan is here on the earth, you're going to see anti-Semitism like the world has never, ever seen it. Now, if you remember earlier in the tribulation, let me read to you Revelation 12, 12. It informs us. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Well, his short time ends when he's thrown into the abyss. So look again. Go back to Revelation 20. Revelation 20, verse 1, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss, and a great chain is in his hand. Now, God the Father, God the Son, or God the Spirit could have certainly thrown the devil into the abyss. But God, in his sovereignty, chooses to use an angel. And I think there's a reason why, because it communicates to any reader that Satan is not God's equal. Some people think, well, there's the good force, and there's the evil force. And the author and the inventor of the Star Wars was a pantheist. And if you read his book in the 70s, his goal was to feed the American public with pantheism, and he's done a great job of it. And so many blindly have almost adopted the theology of Star Wars. That was his goal. You can read it. It's in his own writing. It's in his own hand. And somehow people think that Satan is God's equal. Satan was created. He is not God's equal. 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The first he, they're capitalized, and rightly so in every English Bible, is God himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are not the devil's equal. The truth is, is that God could easily stop Satan today, but we are going to learn why. God never is the author of sin, but he always uses sin in a sinless way. And we're going to learn how when we work through this chapter of Scripture. Again, in verse 1, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hands. So once again, he's giving us this chronological sequence, having disposed of the Antichrist and the false prophet and the armies that come against Jesus at the campaign of the Armageddon. Now he's going to deal with Satan himself. And we're told that this angel is holding the key to the abyss. Now, there are two angels at two different times who are given the key to the abyss. One is a fallen angel in order to execute an evil purpose, and this a holy angel to execute a righteous purpose. Remember back in chapter 9 and verse 1, and I saw a star, an angel from heaven, which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. This star, this fallen angel, is given the key that unlocks a door where there are millions of demons in this place this morning. And we're given a glimpse of one aspect of the underworld. And here it's called the bottomless pit. Now, some of your translations just say the abyss. But it's better here, bottomless pit. And it's not referring to a teenager's stomach, but it's actually referring to a literal, actual place. Now, in the New American Standard, when the word abyss and pit appear together in the same phrase, 
they translate it the bottomless pit. The Greek text literally says the bottomless in its depth. Um, and so it's describing a, a literal physical place, the, 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 a pit that is bottomless called the abyss. But when the word appears all by itself, abusus, then we usually give it its proper name, abyss. But it's referring to the same place. Now, this is important. Think your way through this. Here's a slide that helps us to see the different kinds of evil and fallen angels that are in the world today. First, you have those that have freedom to roam and to rule. Ephesians 6 describes them as being in heavenly places. Daniel 10 illustrates for us how they are at work in the heavenly places. They're organized. In Daniel 10, you see there are angels that are even over countries that have assignments. They are wreaking havoc this morning. They are trying to solicit even God's people to evil. The prince of the power of the air is using his demonic forces to work in the sons of disobedience. That's the first class. They have total freedom to rule and reign and to wreak havoc. There's a second class of fallen demons, and they are in a place called Tartarus. 2 Peter 2.4 in Jude 1 chapter verse 6 describe these angels. And this particular class of angels are kept, the Bible says, in eternal bonds. They'll never get out of Tartarus. It's a subset of hell. Someday Tartarus will also be in the lake of fire. But these are angels who committed something so wicked, so heinous, where they left their proper abode, to use the words of Jude. It's illustrated for us in Genesis 6, the Bnei Elohim cohabitated the sons of God with the daughters of men. Demons, when they took on bodily form, and they can only appear as males in Scripture, at least every illustration we have, when a demon comes, they come as males. They literally try to cohabitate with women. And they do. You see that illustrated even in, uh, later on in the Genesis. When there are some holy angels and the Sodomites want to cohabitate with those angels who came as men. Even after they're blinded, they're trying to break the door down. They're driven by such hard lust. But these angels are in Tartarus. Then there's a third class, and these are angels who are temporarily in the bottomless pit or the abyss. Jesus dealt with such angels who were afraid they might go there. Remember in Gadara? Some of you went with me last time to Israel. We went to Gadara. We saw the actual hill right at the bottom. Now it's cut by a road, but there's only one place. It's a class A spot. Only one place in the whole Sea of Galilee. It could have happened and where those pigs literally ran right into the sea. And right there in the same place are all these tombs that go all the way back to the day of Christ. And of course, these demons who were possessing these two men, they were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Don't incarcerate us in that place where we have no freedom. And the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. Now, you don't want to meet a demon out of the abyss, because demons are in the, who are in the abyss did something not worthy of eternal bonds but a great evil. And those are the demons that we saw earlier in the Revelation who are going to be released by the millions during the time of the tribulation. Then there's a fourth place of judgment, and it's called hell. 
Revelation 20 and verse 1, Satan is chained, chained in the abyss for a thousand years. But at the end of the thousand years, he's going to be loose for a short period of time. We'll see why. And then he will be thrown into the lake of fire. So we learned also of the abyss back in Revelation 11 and verse 7, when the Antichrist receives his power from the abyss. Let me read that verse to you, Revelation 11, verse 7. When they have finished their testimony, he's talking about the two witnesses up there on the Temple Mount and a rebuilt temple that is going to be in place during the tribulation, will be functioning and in the middle of the tribulation. The Antichrist will go in and he'll stop the sacrifices that are unfolding. Maybe it will be a special dedication of sorts. I don't know. But these two witnesses who are there on the Temple Mount, on the top of Mount Zion, the text says, that's what we call the Temple Mount today, they're going to be teaching those Jews the meaning of those sacrifices. Most Jews today are very secular. But about 35% of the Jews in the world today are Orthodox. It's the Orthodox Jews who have all the plans for a new temple to be rebuilt. They've reproduced all the temple clothing, all the artifacts, with the exception of the Ark of the Covenant, because they say they know where it is. There are Jewish men right now who, outside of the city of Jerusalem, on a weekly basis, are learning the sacrificial system and how to slay an animal so that when the temple is built, they will know how to do it. Well, these two witnesses they, when they have finished their testimony, and I'm sure they'll be preaching to the Orthodox, but beyond them, many, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. Of course, God will raise them back up from the dead in three and a half days, not three days, three and a half. No one is going to be deceived. These men are not messiahs of any type. There's only one who would be raised in the third day. Now, remember, think about the Antichrist. He comes from two places, out of the sea and out of the abyss. Now, not literally out of the sea and not literally out of the abyss. What sea was he referring to? I did a whole message on it, the Mediterranean Sea. And it's in keeping what Daniel the prophet said, that at the end of time, some nations from around the Mediterranean Sea are going to form a coalition, 10 nations, and then 11th will come up, the little horn amongst them, and that will be the Antichrist. He is going to come up out of the sea. He'll be some Jew in that section of the world. But the Scripture also says he'll come out of the abyss. Because when he is killed right in the middle of the tribulation period, he'll come back to life, not resurrected to life, but raised to life. But he'll come back with satanic power. Now, there's only two people in all the Scripture who are called the son of perdition. One is Judas, who is literally inhabited by not just a demon, but Satan himself. And then this man, and I suspect that Satan himself will literally inhabit him. He is going to come with great power. He'll kill the two witnesses, and he will seemingly be ruling like we have never seen. Now, contrary to popular mythology, the devil is not in hell. People say, well, the devil's in hell, and he's torturing. He has never been in hell. He will not be placed in hell, as we'll see next time, until the end of the thousand years are over. Even unbelievers today are not in hell. They're in a place called Hades. It's a place of torment. But Hades, Revelation 20 tells us, 
will be also cast into the lake of fire. And the parallel here is beautiful. Just like Hades is a temporary place that becomes an eternal place in the lake of fire, even so the abyss, the place where fallen angels are, that's a temporary place, but it will become an eternal place in the lake of fire as well. Now look again in verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming up from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. So an angel has the key to the abyss and a great chain. You say, well, is it a strong galvanized chain from Home Depot? What kind of a chain could chain the devil up? I don't know. All I know is it's a great chain. Yes, he's a spiritual being. But the point is, is that the devil for 1,000 years will be able to do zero. He and all of his demonic forces will be in the abyss. Now, that's the doom that will come by heavenly intervention. An angel from heaven will come down to the earth because that's where Satan has been in the last three and a half years, and he'll chain the devil and all of his forces in the abyss for a thousand years. Second, Satan's doom will come by heavenly incarceration. I told you this was theological, but listen, if you get this, even 25% of it, it's going to open up the rest of the revelation to you. And if this is new to you, go back and listen to the message again. Satan's doom will come by a heavenly incarceration. Look now at verse 2. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, Satan has many titles in the Bible. He's called here the dragon, the serpent, the devil, and Satan. The term dragon appears 13 times in the Revelation, 11 times in chapter 12, and then once each in chapter 16, and then the final time here in chapter 20. The word dragon describes his devouring personality. It's modified here as great because it speaks of his rank and of his power. And in other places, he's called the great red dragon. Red, a picture of blood. He is a bloodthirsty evil being. The thief comes only to kill and to destroy and to steal. Jesus said in John 8, he was a murderer from the beginning. And so he is called here a devouring dragon. In addition, he's called the serpent of old. The term serpent, again, refers to his deceitful ways. And he's called the archaeus. We get our word archaic from it. The archaeus serpent. Literally, John calls him the old snake. Why does he call him the old serpent, the serpent of old? Because he wants to underscore in your thinking that he has not changed since he fell as an evil person. He is also called the slanderer. One of his aims, as we studied in Revelation 12, and I briefly reviewed this morning, is he is the accuser of our brethren. It's interesting. When you study the Word of God, there's only three times when you actually get to hear the voice of Satan. Three times. And each time he appears, he appears as a slanderer. In Genesis 3, what is he doing? He is slandering God before man. God's just ripping you off. He is holding back on you. He's cheating you. He's slandering God before man. The second time you hear Satan's voice is in the book of Job. And there he's slandering man before God. <laughs> Job, the only reason he follows you, God, is because you bought him. Take away the blessings and you'll see what Job is really made out of. And then the last time you hear Satan's voice is in Luke 4, Matthew 4. 
where he's slandering the God-man, Jesus Christ. Tomorrow we'll conclude our look at the doom of the devil as we continue our study of the Revelation. To listen again to today's message, use the Search the Scriptures app for mobile devices or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV57. Join us again tomorrow as we continue our look at the end of Satan as we search the scriptures.